All right, good morning. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne grateful that we can call you Father, grateful that we could be in covenant with you. Lord, I thank you that even as the world may be going through different challenges, especially with election season, that we are fully persuaded that you reign because you rose from the dead, Father. We thank you for the covenant that you've given us, for the life that you've given us, for the community you've given us. And we pray that we can be faithful stewards of this community. Thank you for your mercies, which are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Nice. All right. So as many of you know, we've been covering um, the elections to some extent. Like, I, I really haven't been, like, telling us who we should vote for. I really don't have a, a skin in that game, honestly. But we've been covering it. And something has happened in our culture and in our society since 2020 that has deeply affected how we view the world, how we view one another, and how we process what's happening. And 2020 just hasn't only affected this country. It's affected the people in this country and the churches in this country. And like I mentioned before, politics were always formative back then, but it feels so even more so now. That they're extremely formative. Thank you, bro. <clears throat> I can't breathe. Um, and so, as followers of Jesus, if we could reveal to this world that there's a different way of processing this information, a different way of viewing what's happening in the world, I think the world would be better for it. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 31. Now you're thinking that we're going to talk about the Proverbs 31 woman because we don't care about the first nine verses. But we do care. We do care about the first nine verses. We love the Proverbs 31 woman, but we care about the first nine verses as well. Proverbs 31 is like Matthew 28. No one knows what the first verse of Matthew 28 is. Proverbs 31 is the same way. There's actually some stuff that goes down in the beginning before we talk about the amazing woman. Um, Proverbs 31. Okay. The sayings of King Lemuel. Doesn't it sound like the French king? Lemuel. An inspired utterance his mother taught him. So his mother is the one who gave him the wisdom that we're about to read about. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son. The answer to my prayers. Don't spend your strength on women. Your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. Not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing. Wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, some of you think I'm going back to prohibition, saying you guys can't drink your beer. That's not where we're going with this, man. Freedom in Christ. You do what you want. Do it reasonably and respectfully. However, I think it's really important that we understand that This is a pagan king who made it into the scriptures. His pagan mother is giving him advice on how to serve people. And in whoever was the compiler of the book of Proverbs said, man, this needs to be in here, even if it didn't come from um, Israel's origin story. It's really important that we understand that what she's effectively what she's communicating to this king is. 
there needs to be a way that you could do your ruling and your governing in a way that justice is um, justice is met. By virtue of talking to the king, she might as well have been talking to the government of that of that community that he ruled. And I think that's really important that we understand this. You know, the, the words, can we all get along? That that was something after Rodney King was um, beaten and they interviewed him a couple of weeks after he was beaten. He just was like, hey, can we all get along? Like his, his idea was what they did to me was wrong, but I don't want to see my community burn to the ground. Can we all kind of get along? I believe outside of the blood of Christ, it's going to be extremely difficult for everyone to get along. But I think the followers of Jesus can embody this in such a way that everyone who looks like, wow, something seems right here, especially if we're not politically homogenous. That's a good word right there, homogenous. (laughs) Come on, it it can be an SAT word. (laughs) Um, So what can we expect from the government as followers of Jesus. You know, in my journey in following Jesus, I've ricocheted in varying points. First, I thought I, didn't, I shouldn't expect anything. Then I, I expected a little bit more. I never thought I should expect a lot from the government. But I've, I've gone through those phases, and I want to help us even have a better, more robust understanding of what we can expect from the government and how we can hold the government accountable as we want to have faithful allegiance to Jesus and as we want to kind of be a preview community of the coming kingdom when, when Jesus comes in his reign. So what is government? I gave you a brief definition here. We're going to read it together, but you can also take a picture. It's brief. The, 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 the font is just large. <laughs> government is a God-ordained human institu- institution that evidenced the creativity he gave his creatures and the command he gave in the garden to rule, reign, and steward his good creation. Just like all human creative efforts, however, politics are subject to the effect of sin in the world whereby God's good gift becomes perverted and corrupt. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So even though it wasn't a complex government that we had in Eden, there was a there was something God wanted the people to do and they were partnered together together to do it. Now, depending on how you view it, whether that was several people or just Adam and Eve, but there was a contract that occurred right here that they were going to do. But then they break up breaking the contract. And since the fall, every government has struggled with its own sort of corruption to one varying degree to another. Government systems, local or national, all suffer from the effects of sin because humans are involved in government. I also believe the powers and principalities are involved in government. So every government is subjected to sin. And yet we can still call government to a call to action. We can still call them to a redemptive quality to a large extent. You know, one of the common critiques of millennials who are not in the church and Gen Z who are not in the church is... We don't have nothing larger to offer to a society. 
that we have nothing to say. Most of us, they believe, not that you believe this, but they believe that a lot of us are more concerned about where we're going to go when we die. And so they open on their social media apps and they look out to the world that's hurting. And they're like, you know, what Christians are saying, come to church and then go to heaven. And they're like, that isn't that isn't refreshing. That isn't encouraging. And it's super discouraging. But if we read the Gospels, we actually see a Jesus who was radically involved in his community, radically involved. And he wasn't partisan. And yet he was radically involved in his community. You see, the scriptures offer us a robust theological basis for understanding human government our obligation to it as strangers and sojourners in this world, and the limitations and possibilities of that creative political work. And so it's really important that we understand that as followers of Jesus, we steward the government to some extent by our participation in it. Government is for your good. Now, some of you are like, no, I don't. They're not for my good. <laughs> you know, I just lost you credibility. You're like, this. He, he's going to tell me... You don't know what I'm going to tell you. You got to wait. <laughs> and maybe you still might disagree with me afterwards and we can talk it out. We don't believe in violence in the kingdom of God. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 through 7. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, God's agents of wrath to bring judgment on the wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Give to, everyone you, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You know, Paul is writing this in a world where there is a lot of tension between especially Jewish Christians who became Christians. There's a lot of tension there. Paul is calling this group right here to yield to the government. But there is so much to be said in this particular passage that I want us to take some time and unpack it together. To actively... Resist the government is to oppose God. Now, all of you are thinking about the asterisks in your head. Like, what about this? What about that? (laughs) The overall posture of the Christians should be to be supportive of their government. And that doesn't mean that we don't hold the government accountable. The government is half fleshly people in there, and they're going to make bad decisions, and they need to be held accountable to it. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys are familiar with that? They're in the book of Daniel. We're not going to read their story. If you're not familiar with it, that's a good thing you could do this week. Read the book of Daniel. It's a good book. They went into Babylon and they were serving Babylon. They wanted Babylon to do well. They did everything that was asked of them except what violated their covenant with God. And so they weren't going to bow down and worship the statue that Nebuchadnezzar created for um, for himself. And they weren't going to eat meat um, that violated their culture or diet. And so in those two areas, they're like, 
you can ask of me just about anything, but you can't ask me to violate my covenant with God. And like we talked about last week, someone mentioned like as followers of Jesus, we yield to the government insofar as it doesn't violate our covenant with God. So if the government says, hey, as effective today, I want everyone to divorce their spouse. I say no. Even if that's a government mandate, I will take whatever consequences that come from me not divorcing my spouse. You see, the state is under God's rule. I'm grateful no one said amen when I said the government wants you to divorce your spouse. <laughs> you would have exposed your sin just now in front of everyone, and we just would have been like, okay, we're going to talk to them afterwards. But the state is under God's rule. Paul says here that if you're doing good, there's no reason to fear the government. We have a long history in this country that that's not always the case. You could be doing good and you could fear the government. That's where we can actively use our voice and say, government, I did what was right. Why am I afraid of you? We can stand up and say, hey, what is going on here? You are actually creating fear in my heart as opposed to creating peace, especially if I'm doing the right thing, primarily if I'm doing the right thing. And that's where we can say God has ordained you to be an instrument to punish the wicked, not to be an instrument to punish those who are doing what is right in the eyes of this government. See, if there's a fear of government, especially in our society where we have a democracy, our, our role as Christians, if we are fully persuaded that, yes, the government is creating fear for um, citizens who are innocent, we use the democratic process to change that immediately. And we partner with people who are experiencing that fear, and we, we create a haven for them not to be afraid, because God did not create anyone to experience fear, but shalom. Yeah. And so the government needs to be held accountable, and it needs to be redeemed. But, you know, a lot of times when we think of government, we think it can do nothing. Yeah. In 1999, some of you weren't born yet, but I was born. <laughs> I was a part of a citywide basketball tournament. This was an inner city uh, basketball tournament. It was really cool. We got eliminated the very first game, but that was amazing. <laughs> and so this was some of the most talented people in the whole state of Florida who came for this basketball tournament. And like anything, when, once you bring all uh, a whole bunch of talent into one particular area, politicians and celebrities show up too. <laughs> and so we were playing at the old Miami Heat um, arena, and it was like, cool. They brought down the room just a little bit, but you know, you're just thinking like Alonzo Mourning plays here, and those of you who don't know Alonzo Mourning, he was an incredible basketball player, but I was thinking like, wow, I'm playing on the same court he plays in week in, week out. And so after the first two games, the celebrities started coming out. And two celebrities in particular stood out to me. Um, Nate Dogg, you guys remember Nate Dogg? He passed away. But he sung some songs, and he was talking about, you know, what we're doing is good. We're giving to the community. And we're all like, man, Nate Dogg's amazing. And then we had Trick Daddy show up. If you don't know who Trick Daddy is, don't worry about it. But, you know, he was talking about we need to get good grades. We can't be out on the streets doing whatever. And then we had Senator Bob Graham show up. He stood up there. He's like, all of you guys in here could be like me one day. And without fail. It was like everyone just started booing. He's a senator. You got Trick Daddy, who's a rapper. You got Nate Dogg, who's kind of a, a singer, singer kind of rapper. And then, you know, you got Senator Bob Graham, who's like, you guys could one day be a state senator. The whole crowd is booing. And then he's like, why don't you want to be a senator? And then some kid, voice clears him, you do nothing. <laughs> 
And then we all just started laughing together. And he's like, we actually, government is slow, but we actually do work. And then he yelled back out, psych. And then just like, you know, and then, and then the guy who was hosting the thing, no more talking, no more interaction with the crowd anywhere. But you know what? That's what a lot of us could still feel like government is. We think Beyonce could clean the whole ocean, but we don't trust our politicians to clean anything. Like if Beyonce is like, let's clean the waters in Maine, this water would be completely clean because of the beehive. But if our own elected senators are like, we're going to clean the water, we're like, we know it won't get done. And so there could be a degree of us being jaded. And yet we can call the government to accountability. Senator Bob Graham, if there were things going on in Florida in 99, I wasn't paying attention. I was a kid having my best life, living my best life. But if there were things going on, then I, as a follower of Jesus back then, if I was one, could have held him and should have held him accountable to what he said he would do. What then is the source of the government's authority? To be sure, the Christian would affirm that it comes from God. And this is certainly correct. But this does not mean that every existing form of government and every occupant of every office bear God's stamp of approval, as some might think. It does not mean that God has ordained an institution it does mean that God has ordained an institution with a unique task to do justice um, to the diversity of individuals and communities in his world. Thus, the authority of government must be related to its intrinsic jural task. This is a quote from um, David Cozy in his book, Politics, Political Vision and Illusion. And what he's talking about is we need to hold government accountable. Now, some of you are like, does that mean I have to vote? That doesn't necessarily mean you have to vote. You can vote with your wallet as well. You can vote with not, active, um, not participating in certain things as well. You can bring attention to certain things. But government is for our good. And it's definitely for our good if we hold the government accountable to be good. Amen. And sometimes we need prophetic accountability. The government needs prophetic accountability. Let's go to Luke chapter um, 3, beginning in verse 12. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required, he told them. Then he told some, then, then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. John is talking to tax collectors and soldiers who are agents of the state. And so to speak to them is to speak to the state. And he tells them that they need to do their vocations righteously. Luke chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. You see, the tax collectors and the soldiers worked together in collecting the funds. It wasn't like a tax collector showed up at your front door with no one around him. He knew that he probably wouldn't get the money if he didn't have a soldier. So they would come, and a lot of times they would take more than was necessary. And what he says here is, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. And so it was a system in which if I owe Rome $20, they said, all right, let's make it 40 and then the soldier would say, if I said no, I'm just going to pay the 20. The soldier said, I gave nothing. And then I'm going to end up in prison in Rome. And so John is saying, you, you, you can't do that if you want to live into the kingdom, if you want to live into this new reality. He wanted to hold them accountable. And so false accusations was one of their tools. And extortion only exists 
and is only possible when the people being extorted have no source of recourse. Like you can only extort someone who don't have anyone else to go to. And so John here is speaking prophetically to the situation. He's like, this needs to stop if you're going to be a part of this kingdom. And for us, even if the government doesn't want to do anything, there are people in the government who claim Christianity and we can tell them, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian in your particular role. Now, for a lot of us, that's going to take a lot of study. That's going to take a lot of study to figure out, okay, how, how, how do a Christian operate in, in, public, in the public uh, arena? I really don't know. Like I said long before, I used to think Christians shouldn't be in the public arena. Like, how can you reconcile dropping a bomb on someone and being a follower of Jesus? Now, I still don't know how to reconcile that, but I'm pretty sure someone has, and we could hold that person accountable. Let's go to Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 9. You see, we want to hold people accountable so we can create an atmosphere that we all can get along. That our politics doesn't have to be as vitriol and as violent as it is now. Where we are just looking at each other as enemies, some people even in God's church. We don't represent our partisanship, we represent Jesus. And that's really important that we understand that. So you might go, if you haven't already voted, you might go to the place to vote and go straight red down the line. But remember, if you're going straight red down the line, you're representing Jesus. If you're going straight blue down the line, you're representing Jesus. If you write in Jesus' name and all of the things, you're still representing Jesus. But it's really important that you understand that your loyalty isn't to your partisanship. Your loyalty is to the kingdom of God. Amen. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 9. This is, what the Lord Almighty, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams um, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, and I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So what was happening here was there were prophets saying, don't worry about doing anything in Babylon. It's... You're coming back into Jerusalem like in one second. Don't invest here. You're coming back to Jerusalem. So what Jeremiah is saying, no, 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 you're in there for the long haul. You're going to be there at least 70 years, man. So make sure that place look good, man, and you'll do well. So how, how do we relate to America? How do we relate to Maine? How do we relate to this country? We relate in such a way to be a blessing to this place. But we don't become Babylonians. We are not Babylonians. I am not a Democrat. I am not a Republican. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I seek the flourishing of Maine because I'm here. I seek the flourishing of America because I'm here. And I want American peace. But I don't relate to this area as a citizen of this area as much as someone who is trying to be a blessing to this area. And that's really important that we understand that. And I really want to encourage a lot, many of us who kind of grew up In restoration churches, you know, we've kind of divorced politics for the worldliness and the kingdom of God of making disciples, baptizing people. That's the real work. I would argue 
Loving your neighbor as yourself requires you to love the community you're engaged in, and politics is what is the common work and the common good for the people. Mm-hmm. You have to be engaged if you're serious about your discipleship. Mm-hmm. That isn't me saying go, go to the voting booth, but that is me saying learn what's happening in your community. Mm-hmm. Do not turn a blind eye to what's happening in your community. Yes. Learn the needs of your community and figure out how to be a blessing even if you don't think the, um, the voting booth might help that. Mm-hmm. So instead of viewing the particular institution of human government as God opposing an inherently evil system on his people, imposing an, a heavily, an inherently evil system on his people, our political participation should be viewed as one of many ways we practice the creativity and stewardship we were created for. All work is meant to produce flourishing, yet all such efforts are distorted by sin. The powers and principalities work in and through institutions to subvert their good intentions. Yet, instead of viewing human government as inherently evil, it is more faithful to the biblical witness to view it as we should all aspects of God's creation. An opportunity to live out our identity as image bearers with the desire to glorify God and the humble awareness that our efforts will be tainted by sin. <clears throat> That's from Caitlin Chess in her book, The Liturgy of Politics. She's trying to help us understand that we really should view the work that we're doing for the kingdom of God as human flourishing. We should participate in politics as a means of human flourishing. Like what, 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 those, what that word generally means is what can we do to make the lives of our neighbors even better? I'll give a very quick example. Inflation is hitting certain people harder than others. And it's causing a huge burden on a lot of people. The rent prices here are going through the roof. I don't know. I, I've looked a little bit. I don't know what's on the ballot completely. But if you were like, you know what? I am financially set. I got a mortgage. I don't care about rent. That's not how I'm rolling. I'm good. Then you're missing an opportunity to be a blessing to your neighbor. Because as things go up, people are like, man, I, if, if it goes up two more, I can't even rent here. And I, got, and I get displaced. And I get relocated. Again, these are just little things that we could pay attention to. And it's just very important as followers of Jesus, we care. Again, that don't mean we vote the same, but we care. We look at the situation like, okay, this isn't good. How do we fix this? And we'll come up with different ways and different ideas, but we care. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. You know... This phrase, um, prayer for leaders, praying for leaders, it causes a lot of conflict when it's not in your natural rhythm. You know, if, if you're not someone who naturally pray for the leaders like the scriptures teach us, this is, this is a conflict-inducing yeah. phrase. Because it feels like, oh, you want us to pray when it's your guy in office. When it's not your guy in office, you don't want us to pray. Paul wants us to pray when it's our guy, not our guy, our girl, not our girl. When it's whoever, we should be praying. Let's read um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all um, godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases our God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The reasons for our prayer. 
Why do we pray? Why does Paul want us to pray? So we can live peaceful and quiet lives. I pray every day that America doesn't go to any war. Because you know who they're going to send to war? Well, I'm getting closer to that age where they won't send me. Unless we're losing. We're losing really bad that they might send me, but I'm like 35. Who wants me now? You know? I'm like, I got a bum knee. Like, what can I do for you guys? I pray. <laughs> or you're not going to put me near the action. I'm not going to help anybody. It's really not going to be helpful. Like, I could do two miles, but not more. Like, we're, we're sending the young guys like Anthony. Anthony would be like a solid candidate to go. But not me. But I pray consistently that you keep, that America keeps the peace. That they don't go into any war. I don't want anyone to go to war, but I specifically pray for this country not to go to war and be involved in any war. I pray that this country fixes economy and fixes situation. Most of us in here probably have money in um, 401ks and all this other stuff. You want to retire? Lord knows. I probably fantasize too much about retiring. <laughs> but I want to end it. I want to end working and I want to have a good pop to just go be 63 and Jules and I go to some beach and we just live it out in our old days. That is 63 years old. 63 is joyful, vibrant, and all the other good stuff. I'm hoping I can retire at 63. Pray for me. You know, but that's why we pray. We pray consistently for that. And this prayer should characterize us like, God, we're praying for peace in this world. If you're like, I never pray about the war until I think there's a war, you're like one second too late, but God can still work. Now, what should we pray? Honestly, I pray if the politician would have a real genuine encounter with Jesus. If they say they had a real genuine encounter with Jesus, then I pray that the politician can continue to walk in that encounter with Jesus. I pray also that they would be given wisdom, discernment, a gentle spirit. So they're not saying anything that could make my life difficult. You know, like. I've seen in many meetings where there's always one spouse that's like fired up. You know, so you, you're probably wondering who the fired up spouse is. If you're wondering, it's probably not you. But there's one spouse who always says, so I look at the politicians like that, like me praying for them, like, don't say that, don't say that. That's gonna cause that's gonna cause a fight. You better stop. I don't say that this just let's just walk away, man. Let's, let's walk away. I pray for their wisdom. You know, we saw how vulnerable this country got a couple of months ago. One person making a misplaced statement could fracture in our very already fragile situation we got going on right now. So I pray consistently if I know they're going to speak in a big situation, God, if if they're going to say something stupid, cut the mic. (laughs) Cut the mic, Lord. I I want peace, man. I don't want to walk in these streets and figure out who's shooting who and what they're doing. Pray for the peace. Pray for their wisdom. Pray for the discernment. Pray that their policies would be good for the poor. That their policies would be good for the foreigners. That their policies would be good for those who are uh, in desperate need. And then lastly, pray for yourself. Pray that their policies would be good for you. Now, if you fall into those categories, poor and desperate, then pray, pray first for yourself. But like I said before, the Jews practiced this. They, they, this was a normal thing. If you go through all the Second Temple period, they're praying for all sorts of kings. It was just normal what they did. And the early church picked up the same habit. They were praying for the emperors consistently, even though many of these emperors were killing their brothers and sisters. And yet they still prayed for them. They still prayed for their repentance. They still prayed for them to govern justly. 
This needs to be a regular part of our rhythm of prayer. Mm. Paul doesn't say exactly how often, but he does say pray for all people, for kings, those in authorities. Pray for all of them. Pray that they come to a knowledge of the truth. And this is really important. Like I mentioned before, this is only challenging if you don't pray for leaders. If you never prayed for a leader and you're like, let's just say you were right now Joe's in office and you were one of the people who were like, I really didn't want him in office. And I said, let's, we're going to break up in the groups and we're going to pray for the president. Now you're upset because you're like, man, Steve, I knew undercover he was a Democrat. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. That brother had a mask on the other day. I knew it. <laughs> He's a Democrat, man. <sighs> Make me sick. How's he following Jesus? Or if I say, we're going to pray for, um, what, what's, our, what's our senator, the lady? Um, Susan, Collins. Susan Collins. We're going to pray for Susan Collins. I knew he was a Republican. Ooh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Steve has never said anything about the Second Amendment. Like, ooh, I knew it. He, he's, he's a Republican through and through. You know, he, he wanted us to meet when COVID was spreading. Like, ooh, I knew he was a Republican. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Trying to make the best decisions possible. Saturated in prayer. I have not appealed to either one of these parties to govern my decisions toward um, what it means to honor God in this state, in this mind. With that said, I want us to pray for our national leaders. We'll break up into groups of four. And we'll pray for them. We'll pray for our local senators. If you don't know their name, we got Google. We'll pray, we'll pray for the president. We'll pray for the, um, the, governor, the governatorial race, gubernatorial. Why is it called a gubernatorial instead of governatorial? The gubernatorial. We'll pray for that. And then we'll take communion afterwards. Again, we're not praying that any particular person win. If you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to do that, just understand someone may not share that sentiment with you. And that's okay. We'll be in there and you'll be like, I hope they win. And the other person will say, I hope they lose. And you learn how to love each other as we break bread and take the cup. So we'll break up into groups of four with the people around us. We're going to pray for our national leaders, and then we'll take communion.